1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the uh, Finding Genius podcast. So I'm with uh, the Alaska Prepper. Uh, He goes by Rudy. He's got a YouTube channel called Alaska Prepper. So thank you for coming, Alaska Prepper. Hey, thank you very much for having me, man. It's a pleasure being here. Well, tell me a little bit, how did you start on this journey? What woke you up to the need to prep and when?
2: Oh, wow. So this is a story that I've told often, but it's a good story. So when I was in I retired from the military, from the army. And my first tour to Afghanistan, I was on my way home. On mid tour leave, and one of my buddies, when I was getting on the plane, he gave me a book, and the name of the book is "Confessions of an Economic Hitman" by John Perkins.
1: I read that and, one years yes, ago, and I was like, well, "Whoa!" Then,
2: then, then you you know what a great book that is to wake people up as to how the world works. Hmm. And uh, that's what got me started—not prepping, but it started to wake me up to want to get more answers to like what I mentioned, how the w- world works. So I read that book and it's a great read because it's not that long and it's very digestible. It's very easy to read. So I read that before my flight was even over. Of course, it was like a 12 hour flight or something like that.
1: Right.
2: And once I came back from deployment, I picked up another book and it was The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffith.
1: I also and read I, that one. Very good
2: yep, too. That got me going down the rabbit hole of uh, how the financial system works. And that's what completed my wake up. Once I woke up to the fact that of what governments do behind the scenes in our name, I um, uh, understood why it is that The Creature from Jekyll Island had to be written. So thank you, G. Edward Griffith. And uh, pretty much what that book tells you is how it is that a system was developed to steal your wealth, to steal your time. And uh, we're still under that same system now, which is called the Federal Reserve Note, or i.e. the Federal Mm -hmm. Reserve. Uh, So having read those two books and waking up to the fact that life is not what we really see it to be, I started questioning, well, exactly why is the government there? Exactly why are these institutions doing what they're doing as far as stealing our wealth uh, through the power of inflation or through inflation? And what really finally woke me up and allowed me to see that I needed to start getting prepared, not only for me, but for my family, is a video that I saw on YouTube. I think it was around 2012 or so, but I could be wrong on the date. But if you all remember Hurricane Sandy that hit the East Coast. Yeah, I was,
1: was in New York when that happened. Were you?
2: Well, I think this happened in New Jersey or New York. I think it was in New Jersey that this video took place in. So it's a video of a lady running up to Senator Schumer and screaming at him saying we need help you have to help us people are going to freeze people are going to die people are starving we need generators we need gasoline we need blankets so so I see that and it broke my heart because after reading those two books I understood that the only reason in my opinion of course that that gentleman was there that that representative was there was for a photo op and that yep. these people would receive minimal help from the government
1: I knew people that uh, were near the water and their homes got flooded. And when they tried to fix everything, they were told by the city, you got to apply for permits and all that. And they were people that did not, they weren't able to go back into their home for a year plus. And then they were hit with all kinds of fines and permits and all that. When they didn't do anything. Right.
2: Right. Well, that, that video there allowed me to understand that if something similar to that any kind of a crisis, natural event, man-made event, whatever it may be, that if something similar happened to that where I live, that it's my responsibility to make sure that my family is taken care of because I cannot depend on someone else. That is what got me started into thinking about preparedness. And then, believe it or not, it still took about another year or two before I actually started actually prepping and making those mistakes that you know many beginning preppers make. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about doing what I do on YouTube is because I try to encourage people that maybe haven't started preparing yet. I try to encourage them with the fact that they need to prepare because if they don't prepare for anything, it's not for the end of the world. Let me get this out right quick. All right? I'm not a doomsday prepper. I believe that the mainstream media really did a very big disservice to the, to the American populace by putting up that doomsday prepper stuff. Because if you would notice, during every one of those doomsday prepper videos, if, if you've ever watched them, toward the end of each interview, the narrator would come up and say something like, well, even though Joe and Sally are preparing for a financial collapse, the possibility of a financial collapse occurring is slim to none. Or if Joe and Carrie are preparing for, for a, um, a volcano eruption, this volcano hasn't erupted for millions of years, but they always negated the reason why those people were preparing. You know, so I think it did a great disservice to the word prepper because now Mm. when people hear that word, I think that subconsciously they go back to those doomsday prepper videos.
1: I do have a question about that. You know, what I've thought a few times is, okay, I could see prepping for like a couple weeks, maybe of of not as much food as you need or, you know, a week or two of no electricity, but I don't see... like if you had to prep for six months or a year, I would think that society would be completely collapsed. So maybe what's the point? I don't know. Well, what do you think uh, on terms of the, the time, the yeah, leeway yeah, yeah, great, that it gives you when prepping?
2: That, that's a great question. And and when people ask me about that, I tell them, you have to do what you're comfortable with, right? You have to take the information that you get from somewhere else and you have to do your own research and you have to do what you are comfortable with. Because in the end, it is you and your family that will pay for the consequences of the decisions that you made. So if you prepare for two weeks, that's great. I wish that everyone in the United States was prepared for two weeks. That would be awesome. You know, if you want to prepare for a month, that's great. What if something happens that it takes three months before things go back to normal? So like I said, you will be the one that lives with the consequences of the decisions that you made. You're either prepared for not enough time or for too long or all of that. Personally, I feel that preparing, especially in the days that we live today, the times that we're living in today are, you know, very interesting, as they say. I believe that you should be prepared for a minimum of six months to a year. Minimum, just like the Mormons, right? They, no one's ever said anything about the Mormons being prepared for a year. The, the Mormons, uh, I believe, it's part of their religion, but don't quote me on that. But they believe that you should be prepared for one year. And that's the way it's been for a really long, for as long as I can remember with the Mormons. Huh? No one's ever said anything bad about them being prepared for a year. Right. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, if you take a look at the world, take a look at at how easily our infrastructure can collapse, where one thing can affect everything. And we're seeing that right now. I mean, look at the last couple of years where one thing affected the shipping, affected the price of energy, how this uh, conflict going on with uh, with Russia and Ukraine is going to affect nearly a billion people around the world who are going to go from hungry to starving, uh, where the crisis with fuel, with natural gas, is going to affect our planting season next year, because most people don't realize that natural gas is something that is needed in order to make fertilizer. And without fertilizer, we don't get the yields that we've been used to getting for the past several decades. You see, without fertilizer, crops are only going to yield maybe 50 to 40% of what they normally yield with fertilizer. So where's that fertilizer going to come from now that it's not being made because we have a shortage of of natural gas? People don't understand that. And as far as being prepared for a minimum of 6 months in our recent history, not meaning the last year or two, but in the recent in our recent history, I believe it was in the early 1900s, our banks here in the United States, they shut down for 6 months. So when there's no money circulating through the economy, how are you supposed to trade? your energy, meaning your money, for things that you normally have on an everyday basis.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives in our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, the destruction or an acceleration towards uh, things falling apart recently
0: well the thing is, one of the things
2: that i go by is is that it doesn't matter to me what's happening because what's happening is not what matters It's the result of what's happening or or the probability of the results of what's happening so what are the probabilities that being that this year our our grain carry over into next year will be lower than years past. I live a very boring life, Richard, so I do a lot of research. <laughs> so okay. our, the, the grain carryover, and people don't understand that grains is, is pretty much everything we eat. We need grain to feed our cattle, to feed chickens, to feed hogs. We need grain to go into the food that we eat. We need corn. We need soybeans. We need all of that stuff. And all in all, our carryover, which is what we bring over into next year, you know, it's like our surplus that we bring over into next year to feed on until the new crop or the new harvest has been gotten out of the ground. Our carryover going into next year is lower than the year past. And uh,
1: it's much lower, catastrophically lower. Well,
2: the the last time I looked at the numbers, our carryover will be less than what we would consume in a full year. Meaning that if there's any kind of catastrophe, uh, like, for example, I believe it was in and I forgot if it was in the 1500s or 1600s, but we had a volcano uh, called Tambora that erupted. And uh, due to that eruption and all of the sulfur in the atmosphere, the entire world had what was called a year without a summer. And you can look that up, a year without a summer, and you can read the story of what happened. And a lot of famine, a lot of people died because there was lack of food. But the thing is, is that anything can happen. So I don't look at exactly... One thing that may happen. I just think that being prepared generally is smart. And what I mean by that is covering those infrastructures that you rely on with your own backup infrastructure for that. So uh, to put it in simple terms, if you rely on electricity every day, all right, there's absolutely no control that you have over the electricity that's coming into your home. If the electrical grid goes down, you have no control over that whatsoever. But you do have control over acquiring a backup unit to provide electricity to your home. You have control over that right now. You have control uh, in getting a generator with X number of gallons of gasoline, whatever you're comfortable with having. You have control over that. Well, well you,
1: you, you have control over getting a generator, except when they tell you there's a one-year wait to get one now. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And that's why we prepare. Uh, I've, been, I've been talking about preparedness and actually living preparedness for about a decade now. And I often tell people, you know, five years ago when everything was great, remember five years ago, the stock market was still going straight up, everything was great. Yep. People would call you a fear monger or a kook. And I say, well, would you rather be prepared 10 years early? Or would you rather wait till one day after the crisis begins and you can no longer prepare, i.e., you can't even find a generator now, as you stated? Uh, so, you, um, so,
1: does, does preparing make you relaxed? Or the, the impression absolutely. I get is that preppers are always like, worried and watchful and they're on edge all the time. I don't get the yeah. the the perception that they're relaxed and maybe I guess that's mistaken.
2: No, 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 not at all. I mean preparedness takes a weight off my shoulders. I I'll tell you right now during the great toilet paper shortage of March 2020 when people were banging each other over the head for toilet paper, I was sitting in my living room watching it unfold on YouTube. I I had no worry about my getting toilet paper. I didn't have to go out there and and fight with someone over a few rolls of toilet paper? I've already got it. Why would I be worried about it? And right now, if, if the supermarket's closed, right now, for whatever reason, because people live in what is a sense of normalcy bias. Oh, it's never happened, so it's not going to happen ever. I've never broken my arm, so I can never break my arm. Right? That's normalcy bias. Uh, so, for whatever reason, if the supermarket's closed right now, I I would have absolutely no worry, none whatsoever. Why? Because I do myself, what I tell people they should do to get prepared. I have a one-year supply of food in my pantry of foods that me and my family normally eat on an everyday basis. I have a store of water that will last us several months should something happen and I can't get water. I have a way to filter water. I have several ways to to keep my home heated in the coldest of temperatures should that infrastructure not be available anymore. So, no, I, uh, you know, sometimes when I do a video personally, I can speak about myself, but not, I don't really like to speak about anyone else. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. When I do a video personally, I put out information that I feel people can use to better prepare for the future. So, for example, right now, we are, I just put out a video, I don't know, about an hour ago or so, telling people hey, listen, the price of natural gas just skyrocketed, which means that we're probably gonna be feeling that price of natural gas going up next month which means when when
1: did it when did it go up and how much this
2: morning yeah this morning it went straight up because here in the united states they're predicting that la niña is going to affect uh weather for the worst in the uh, mid to northeastern parts of the united states so they're going to have a colder winter than than was expected and as soon as that information came out you know the traders go out there into the futures markets and they they start you know propping up the price because they know there's going to be more of a demand for it. So we're looking at a a colder winter for probably most half of the United States from the Midwest all the way to the Northeast. And that's going to affect the price of uh, natural gas and which is going to affect the price of everything. It's going to affect the price of electricity. You know, people don't understand natural gas. It's not just for heating. They make fertilizer with it. They also use it to run electric plants that produce electricity. So the price of electricity is forecasted to go up about 47% here in the next few months.
1: Jeez.
2: And this is why we prepare- Right
1: at, right at the worst time, yeah, in the winter. Yeah, yeah,
2: and at the worst time. And that's why I prepare. That's why people prepare, because it's not for what's happening right now. Uh, for whatever's happening right now, like the inflation, the price of, I've been talking about inflation and the price of food and how inflation is gonna continue to get higher and higher and higher over the years, for the last three or four years, because the economic system by which we are governed says that we have to have inflation every year. We have to. As soon as the government stops inflating the money supply, uh, the the, the, the financial system will go bust, 100%. It has to continue to create debt. That's the system that they created back in 1913 with the Federal Reserve. And, uh, right, can,
1: but, but since there was such massive inflation over this past year, does that mean that inflation can take a break or it's got to keep going no matter what? And does it need there, to keep going at this level or lower?
2: There may be a period of respite, maybe for a month or two, but inflation will only keep going up. Okay. Inflation is not, as they say, transitory. Let me explain what transitory means. Transitory inflation means that. Inflation has picked up. So instead of doing the normal 2% or so that the that the Federal Reserve has uh you know wanted to do for the last several years, inflation went up to eight, nine, nine and a half percent, whatever it was. The transitory, what they mean about that is, is that it's not going to be nine, nine and a half percent, ten percent always, that it will transition back to about two percent. But that doesn't mean that the prices are going to drop back down to what they were when inflation was at 2%. You're still going to pay those high prices. So now you're paying 2% on $3 instead of paying 2% on $1.50. So that's going to be a lot more. And you're going to continue to pay those prices going forward until this system is finally you know, done with and we have I mean, a new financial system.
1: You know, it's funny as you're talking to me, um, You know, I've been through Hurricane Sandy waiting online hours for gas and then I left New York, and you know now I'm in Texas. And then two years ago, we had this horrible winter where we had no power for a week. We uh-huh. went to a hotel, and there was uh, they also told the restaurants to like close, and it was like barely any food. So you, you would think like, and then there was COVID, of course. Yeah. So you would think I'd be like all over this, but for some reason I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I guess I got lulled back into thinking that things will be okay, but exactly. you know, obviously not.
2: Well, the thing is, Richard, it's not your fault. I, I don't even. I do not blame people that uh, that have that same attitude that, that you're saying that you have because you think things are going to get better again and stuff like that. I don't blame people with that at all. It's because we've all been we've all been programmed. The mainstream media doesn't tell you what they don't want you to know. They tell you what they want you to think, and, and that's how it is. And I I I don't oh. listen to mainstream media. I don't listen to the news or anything like that. I just do my own research on my time. And I come up with with uh, I come up with with whatever information I feel is the right information to go on.
1: I guess the other problem though is it, it all seems so bad, and you know you feel as an individual person like so powerless. What are you supposed to do? Which I guess leads into my question. You know, like what what are the first few baby steps people should take
2: oh, that haven't weird. done anything
1: yet to progress?
2: Man, listen, man, outstanding question and. And and this is why I love doing this, is because I want to spread the word that it doesn't take a millionaire. You don't have to be rich. Uh, I, I do something on my, on my channel that I call, I think I'm the one that came up with this. No, I am. And I, I should have copyrighted it. <laughs> but uh, I do something that's called payday preps. And I show people on my channel, I actually have a, a video stream on my channel where I show all of the payday preps that I've done for the entire time that I've been doing YouTube. And what a payday prep is, is when you get paid and you go shopping for food, you you make you take an account of what you have, what you use. And when you go shopping, let's say you were gonna get two cans of corn for that week or for that two weeks or whatever it is, get an extra can, get an extra pound of pasta that you're intentionally getting to put back to grow your pantry. You don't have to go out there and spend $5,000 in one shop. You can go out there and spend $5, $10 a payday and slowly but steadily grow your pantry to where you want it to be. And it's as easy as just getting things that you normally eat, anyways. Almost everything, if not everything, with the exception of produce and, and like uh proteins, almost everything that you can that you consume right now has a best buy date of at least a year out. So if you're going to gather a, let's say, let's just say three months worth of food, extra food that that you will have there in case something happens. Everything that you get, everything that you get that's prepackaged, be it pasta, be it rice, be it beans, be it a can of raviolis, or be it a can of tuna, or a can of meat, it's going to have a a best buy date that's at least a year out. That means that you can easily put it in your pantry, put it back, and it's the stuff that you normally eat anyways. So when you take out a can of green beans, make sure that the next time that you go to the supermarket to do your grocery shopping, that you replace that can of green beans. It's what I call filling in the gaps. Once your pantry has everything that you wanted to have in there to support your family with the sustenance that they're going to need for let's say 3 months to start off with then just make sure that once you have that that you fill in the gaps that if you know that you need two cans of corn that you go ahead and grab that two cans of corn and fill in that gap that way at any one oh, yeah. time, Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, that, that that's what I was going to ask you. Is, so if you, you know, now I magically have a pantry full of food, am I afraid and I don't want to touch it and I just eat stuff no, no, that I'm no. buying from the store now? Or, or how no, do I get into it the proper way and replenish yeah.
2: it? You see, Richard, if you did that, if you just got a pantry full of food and you left it there, you'd be a hoarder, right? There's a difference between a hoarder and a prepper. A hoarder is someone that has a problem you know, with how they think about things, that they can't get rid of something because they're emotionally attached to it. Every single item in my pantry, I use. My family uses, so we rotate through that. So if you have a, a if you have 12 cans of green beans, and uh, they're dated, you know, they're dated whatever date, and you take two cans out and you you replace two cans, you make sure that you bring up those those earlier dates to the front and put the two new cans in the back. It's just called rotating your food. You rotate it out so that you're always eating the oldest food that you have in the can or whatever packages you have. And you're putting the newest ones that you just got in the back. And as
1: a a micro example, what did you do when the toilet paper problem happened? You said you weren't worried. You had X amount of toilet paper, but what did you do? Like, when did you go out to replenish it?
2: Actually, you know, I didn't go out to replenish my toilet paper. We don't go through a lot of toilet paper. So, you know, like, uh, we buy a box of Scott tissue from Amazon, like, uh, I don't know, well, there, there, there's like 80 rolls in a box of Scott tissue in Amazon. And usually what I'll do is, is if they're on sale, I'll buy a box, but only if I need a box, if I need to fill in the gap for my toilet paper. So I just fill it in whenever I need to fill it in. And and that's the thing is, is uh, you know, this may disgust you, but I have about a two year supply of toilet paper. If right now, I, if right now toilet paper did not exist, I have about a two year supply of toilet paper right now for my family. So when this. But, stuff but let's cool.
1: say let's say that happens. I know there's some kind of crisis, no toilet paper. Yeah. And, you know, it goes on for a week. Who cares? If It goes on <laughs> for three months. What are you starting to think now? Because now you're eating through your supply. At what right. point do you do you say, all right, I got to figure out what to do, because, yes, I have backup, but it's starting to run right. out. now.
2: Well, the funny thing is, is that I have a backup to toilet paper also, but let's say it goes on three months and I only have a a one-year supply, let's say. Uh, What you do is you wait for the crisis to be over before you restock. I'm definitely not going to go out there and fight with someone over toilet paper uh, because that's why we prepare so that we don't have to be in the line of fire when these things happen. Uh, So I guess
1: guess why I'm asking you is I just feel like the psychology of prepping and the psychology of using it and how it feels like as it depletes, if there is a crisis, I, I just feel like that's important to address. That's why I'm asking you. Because that, yeah, that's well, what I'm thinking. The mechanics of it, eh, fine. But well, the psychology the- of it seems to be important.
2: The thing is, is that uh, I like to have backups for backups for backups. So, you know, I'll tell you exactly what my plan is for number twos, right? Let's say that. So let's say I have a two-year supply of toilet paper. And let's say that something, ha- first of all, I don't think that we're going to have crises that that last for years and years and years. You know, I, I often tell people a crisis is a time period. It starts on this date and it ends on this date, right? We've had crises throughout humanity. So that's why the word crisis exists because it's something that's finite, something that has a starting point and an ending point. Now, how long can a crisis go? Some crises may only last a day or a week or a year or maybe even more, depending on what period in time we're talking about. Uh, but I have backups for backups for backups. So let me tell you what my toilet paper plan is. I have a couple of years supply of toilet paper, right? that That whenever I get a new box because I'm replacing an old one, I get another one and put it in my stash. I rotate it just like anything else. So if that runs out, a great alternative to toilet paper that I found is baby wipes. So I have a supply of baby wipes. And that's something that we probably have about enough to last a year, baby wipes. And and Mm -hmm. then after that, if those run out, for example, then there's something out there that's called coin tablets. And what they are is they're little cloth tablets that are pressed into a coin that you can actually uh, get wet and it turns into a little towel. I got a supply of those, and they take up very little room. So in my case, if something were to happen, I've got enough number two wipes for probably the next three to four years.
1: And uh, if
2: if we have a crisis that lasts more than four years where you can't get toilet paper, guess what? You take a water bottle, you drill a little hole in the end, you fill it up with water, and you got a homemade bidet. Yeah. Well, well you, no, you see it, Richard, you see Richard that makes sense. In my opinion, the reason for getting these things like toilet paper because uh, most people will say you don't need toilet paper to survive. No, absolutely not. But one of the reasons why I prepare is so that I can allow my family to continue to have the standard of living that we're used to anyways. So if toilet paper is part of your lifestyle, if you use toilet paper on an everyday basis, then you definitely want to prepare and have some toilet paper put aside. Uh so, you know, so when
1: you a- um when you shop, you probably they shop very efficiently because it sounds like you're very familiar with what's in your pantry at all times, what yeah. you need. So you're like the ultimate shopper with a list, I guess, and you don't get the extraneous stuff or do you?
2: Well, the great thing about having a pantry that's full and having the things that you need on hand for, you know, an extended period of time is that you don't need to shop at regular prices. So for example, we eat, we probably go through about two to four cans of corn a month in our household. We like corn and green beans. So we go through about two or four cans of corn a month. We have enough for a year. So let's say we have 48 cans of corn, which sounds about right. We have about 48 cans of corn in our pantry. So let's say that we go through 12 cans of corn and uh, I still haven't filled in that gap. I still have enough for another three quarters of a year. So what I'll do is, is I'll wait until I see corn on sale. Because since I know that I've got a really well stocked up pantry and I've got plenty more, I still have nine months worth of corn left, for example, I'll wait until it goes on sale. And if it goes on sale, I'll go ahead and grab them and fill in my gaps. So once you have a full pantry, you actually can save money by just waiting for things to go on sale that you normally consume anyways and filling in your gaps that way. So I don't necessarily (laughs) go out and buy a can of corn when I know I'm missing one. I just wait, and if they go on sale, I go ahead and pick them up. If it gets down to about half, I'll go ahead and 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 bite the bullet and pay full price for it.
1: Well, let's go back to um, let's say we get uh, someone that lives in a small apartment. They really don't have much room. Again, they've never prepped before. How do they start with limited time, limited money, limited you know everything? But what are some of the first things that they should start storing, and why?
2: Well, you know this can this can get in. You know we can do it we can do a three hours podcast (laughs) with with everything that we can talk about. But first of all, if you live in a small apartment, more than likely it means that you live in a very populated area. Uh, I recommend anyone that lives in a very populated area that they should probably look for greener pastures per se, go, go somewhere where the, where the uh, population is a little bit smaller, maybe more, more, you know, much more call it like out in the country, but a lot of people can do that. So this is what I would recommend. So, If you live in a small apartment, let's say you have a queen-size bed, right? Underneath a queen-size bed, you can feed enough basic sustenance, i.e. rice, beans, oil, flour, sugar, salt, some other spices, and even probably a few comfort foods along with canned meats and stuff like that. You can feed enough to feed one one person for a full year, right? You can feed enough
1: to feed one person for a full year. So, you, you literally can sleep better knowing you're, you're sleeping on your pantry.
2: Well, you know, it's uh, preparedness is nothing but insurance. And every single person has insurance, of one kind of or, or another. Is, it, is uh, car insurance more important to you than food insurance? That's what preparedness is. To me, it's food insurance, it's fuel insurance, because I keep enough fuel for my vehicles to run on at least one additional fuel tank of gasoline if something were to happen. I keep enough heating fuel to uh, to heat my home for at least two continuous winters, if not three. So preparedness is nothing but insurance. And people just don't think about it that way. They think of preppers as people that hoard stuff when it's very far from that. It's just a form of insurance that you will be able to continue the standard of living that you live right now. That's all yeah. it is.
1: No, your, your advice is like super practical. I mean, it's really great. Um, What... I don't know, what, uh, what issues have you wrestled with that you found to be like the most difficult that took you a long time to to reconcile and figure out about prepping?
2: Oh, goodness, that's a good question, man. Because the thing is, I've been doing it so long that I've pretty much resolved a lot of those issues. Uh, one of the big things would be water. Water is Water is probably, depending on where you live in the world, water is probably the most important thing. And the, the reason I say depending on where you live is because here in Alaska, for me, The most important prep that I have is heating fuel so that I can heat my home, right? Because in the wintertime, if if I'm out of water, I can go out and get snow and bring it inside and let it melt and put it through a filter. Uh, so, So water is a big thing because it weighs so much. It takes up so much room. And depending on where you live or what kind of setup you have would depend on how much you can store for an emergency and actually be able to use it. So so water is a very big deal. Uh, You know, that thing that they say about one gallon a day per person, uh, that's really not enough. It's enough to keep you alive. But what kind of life do you want to live? Again, I go back to do you want to sustain your standard of living? You're going to need a lot more than one gallon per day. Uh, But water is one of those big things. Uh, Another one would be electricity. Electricity is a huge one. Uh, Think about what would happen if, if we lost the grid for a week there would be riots everywhere, there would be riots everywhere if we lost a grid in the entire US for a week. Uh, and then I go back to people saying, well, that will never happen. Well, it's happened before, and it can definitely happen again. Uh, so what would you do if you didn't have electricity? You know, one of the things that I that I really like is I really like uh, solar power. You know, I like solar, I have a lot of mach- a lot of these machines that are called solar generators that they're pretty much a battery backup that you can use to keep your appliances running, keep the lights on. One of the ones that I have is dedicated to my uh, fuel heater, to my, you know, to the heater that heats my house. Although it runs off of fuel oil, the peripherals on it, like the fuel pump and the motherboard and stuff like that do run on a little bit of electricity. So I have a solar generator that's dedicated just to my heater that heats my home. That way, anytime that the lights go out or electricity goes out in the wintertime, it it, it doesn't miss a beat it just keeps working
1: oh nice okay yes yeah, so you really thought through like pretty much every aspect and now you have backups and in some cases multiple backups
2: yeah my my saying is i love to say that one is none two is one but 27 is a heck of a lot better <laughs>
1: what is uh what does your family think of this you know or people around you like friends and everything do they think you're crazy or do they are they now starting to oh, come no. to you and say help
2: no, no, my, my direct family, you know, my wife and my, my son and my daughter, um, when I first started doing this, you know look, I'm a little bit old school, okay, and I hope I don't offend anyone when I say this. Uh, but when I first started doing this, I, I see it, and I still do. I, I'm the man of the house, right? In my opinion, it's my duty to make sure that my family has what they need, and, and I don't care what anybody thinks so as
1: long as it's good what for I'm you, doing, by the way, yeah, as you. long
2: as now. as long as what I'm doing is something that I see as a necessity for my family to be okay, during any circumstance, I, I don't care about what anyone says. And that's what people have to get away from. I have a lot of community members on my channel that they say, yeah, my family thinks I'm crazy, this and that. And, and I asked them, I was like, well, what do you think? Do you think you're crazy? For what you're doing, for wanting your family to have the things that they need during any kind of a crisis. It doesn't have to be anything in particular, anything can happen. I said, if you think you're crazy, then maybe you ought to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, why are you doing this? And I don't push it on anyone. Anyone that wants help, I will help. Anyone that thinks I'm crazy, then, like I said, they're the ones that will have to live with the consequences of the decisions they're making today. So I don't push it on anyone. When I first started my family, you know, my wife, especially, she thought it was just something I was going through. But over the years, especially after I started my YouTube channel, where I was doing my videos from our living room, and then her listening to me talk about this all the time on videos that I did or live streams over the years she's come around to the you know to understanding the same way that i understand that we need to be prepared so now i hear her talking to her family members telling them hey listen you need to get some of this get some extra food you know put put some cash away in your home in case something happens and you can't get cash out of the atms and, and we've we've switched to giving christmas gifts that are of a preparedness minded type christmas gift like last year uh, we gave each of her siblings a water filtration system for Christmas. And uh we sent each of them a bucket of long-term freeze dry food. So so she's she's in the mode now of understanding that hey, this is something that we need to do. We don't need to, to um live it like I do. I love doing this. I love everything about preparedness. I love sharing the message. You know, I I, I love helping the community. It's something that I love to do. It's like I found my purpose pretty late in life, you know, as far as, you know, what I do with my time. Uh, I'm very lucky to be retired, you know, from the workforce. And this is what I do. And I do it because I really enjoy doing it. Uh, But yeah, my family came along, you know, from, from thinking that maybe I was going through a midlife crisis to now. My wife will come home and says, "Hey, look at what I found." And I'm like, "Oh man, that's awesome. That's a great deal. you know You got, you got uh, 36 bars of soap for 20 cents because they were on on clearance. <laughs> so so yeah, she's all in on it, uh, but it takes some time for some people, some people it, it's an awakening process. Uh, once, once, you get, once you wake up to the fact that it's something you need to do, that, that is the most important and most difficult part to get through is waking up to the fact that you need to do it. And uh, for a lot of people, it's very difficult because they have been programmed from early, early on in their lives to thinking that the government is always going to be there to take care of them if something happens. And that couldn't be farther away from the truth.
1: You mentioned that you've been able to save money because you don't have to buy things at, at a certain moment. You can wait for a sale. So have you thought about programs to help people? That are-
2: well, as far as like uh, helping people, you know, helping people save money or doing it on the cheap, Uh, Like I said, that's where that's where my payday preps come in. Uh, You know, I always tell people, listen, if you can stock up right now, go and stock up right now. If you have a couple thousand dollars, whatever. I've even done videos where I show people where they can buy just the essentials, get just the essentials, and it would actually feed them for a whole year. I think it came out to $500. So if you go out there. I forgot how many pounds of everything it was, but I actually have a video where I listed everything. If you want to, if you want to get some insurance right now and you've never prepared and you have three days of food in, in your house and you want to get that warm and fuzzy inside that if something happens that you're going to be okay, you can go out there right now and get one year's worth of sustenance for less than $500. And that includes all of the basics, just the basics, nothing fancy, but it will keep you alive should something you know tragic happen. You know, but uh as far as people that don't have a lot of money to prepare, that don't have a lot of excess, you know, funds at the end of the month, they can take a look at my payday prep videos, especially the ones early on. Uh because I mean I I have so many tips on there. Like for example, some people may ask me, well, how do I how can I put away rice for long term? And uh because in my later videos, you'll see that I'm using Mylar bags with five-gallon buckets and oxygen absorbers and things like this, that, that someone who's on a budget may not be able to afford that Mylar bag and that you know five-gallon bucket and lid. And when I started out, I was putting my rice away in two-liter bottles. So like a, a, a two-liter bottle of soda, if you drink soda or soda pop, you can keep that. You can rinse it out, let it dry and put your rice in there, and then put a six and a half cent oxygen absorber in there. And it just happens that the, the bottle cap that come with those two liter bottles are perfect. They have a perfect seal on them. And uh, it, it, if people make excuses saying, well, I don't drink soda, I'm like, well, I'm sure you know somebody that does. Ask them to save the empty bottles for you. Or you can use apple juice bottles, whatever it is, anything that's number two, you know, that's uh, food grade, you can actually use those things to prep. And although rice, for example, along with almost every other food product out there, has gone up in price a lot over the last year or two. It's still relatively cheap when you compare how many calories you're getting out of one pound. So if you don't have a lot of money, you can use two liter bottle, two liter soda bottles to actually put away things for long-term. And that that uh, rice put in that bottle stored that way. If you store it in a temperature controlled room, that's not gonna get above 70 degrees Fahrenheit and you can keep sunlight out of it. That'll last 25 years without it going bad. And you'll still be able to use it 20 years, 25 years from now with no problem. So everybody can do it. I tell people, don't tell yourself that you can't do something. If you want something, don't tell yourself, I can't get it because I can't afford it. Instead, tell yourself or ask yourself, what can I do to do it? What can I do to get it? Don't tell yourself you can't get it. Because once you tell yourself you can't do it, in my in my opinion, that's like a poor mentality. is like someone who doesn't have any money. If they consider themselves poor, they'll never have any money because it's that mentality. But if they consider themselves broke, well, guess what? If you're broke and you don't have any money, that's just a circumstance. That's just a circumstance that you're in. But you can do something about it. But if you have a poor mentality, you're never going to do it because you've already told yourself that you're not going to. So So, you know, there's always a way to do something. There's always a... Let me tell you a quick story. I know we're running running long on this, but I had a community member who was an older lady and she loved pressure canning, as I do. I love pressure canning, but she'd been pressure canning pretty much her whole adult life. And she was on social security or still is on social security, you know. And uh, which you know that's not a lot. She started giving pressure canning classes to a few people around her neighborhood, a few of the ladies around her neighborhood.
1: That's cool. And,
2: and a month later, she was giving classes to couples so we, so people came in there, giving, you know, paying her to give them classes on pressure canning. She took something that she was good at. I call it your Kung Fu. Everyone has a Kung Fu, something they're good at. She took something that she was good at to make money from it and then take that money to get better prepared. So you can do it if you want to do it. If you tell yourself you can't, you never will.
1: That's yeah, true. Uh, last question for you. What about produce, fruits and vegetables? Do you grow your own or are you still relying on going to the store and what am, are
2: there. I am a very, very novice gardener. I'm trying to specialize on growing potatoes, because I think that potatoes are one of the, those perfect foods that you can actually live on for a long time should something happen. But the main reason why I want to like uh, be like a, a potato guru is because I want to be able to get to a point where I can grow a whole bunch of potatoes every years, every year, maybe four, five, six hundred pounds, and I'll be the potato man. So around my neighborhood. If somebody's growing tomatoes, I'm like, hey, can I have some tomatoes? Yeah, here's some potatoes, etc. Potatoes are very easily traded because they're very easy to cook, easy to eat, and they, they're very calorically dense. Uh, as far as produce, I have a whole bunch of produce that's freeze-dried, put away. And freeze-dried foods, they will last 25, 30 or more years, uh, put away. So I have a whole bunch of number 10 cans. They're like those 10 cans that are that will hold one gallon. That's the number 10 can of uh, of vegetables, of, you know, peas, carrots, corn, broccoli, uh, things like that, celery, uh, things like that. Put away that uh, I purchased from a third party and uh, they're packaged in a way that they will last 25, 30 years. So that's what I have. That's for emergencies. Uh, whenever everything is good, I go to the store and I buy whatever I want when I want it. You know, OK,
0: same yeah, thing excellent. with
2: proteins. Yeah, same thing with proteins. I have something that's called a freeze dryer. And uh, what I do is, is, I go to the store, I buy meat, beef and chicken and pork. I cook it, uh, put whatever spices I want in it to make it taste the way that me and my family like it. And then I put it in the freeze dryer. The freeze dryer uh, takes every single bit of moisture. It's like 99.9% of any moisture that's in there it takes it out, It pulls it out, and it preserves that meat or that protein for, again, 25, 30 years. Of course, you have to make sure that you properly package it before you put it away after you take it out of the freeze dryer. So I do that as well. It's a way of being able to put away protein on the cheap, in my opinion, because when whenever you buy protein items like beef or chicken, a third party that has already freeze-dried it themselves, it's extremely expensive. It's about three times as much as what it will cost you to do it yourself. And then of course, you have to make that initial investment into buying the freeze dryer, first of all, to be able to do it. But your return on investment. On a freeze dryer, if you freeze dry nothing but proteins, it's probably about 18 to 19 cycles, and you've already made your money back on what you pay for that freeze dryer.
1: Yeah, that's great. Oh, what What does it taste like when you um, it tastes the a same. freeze-dried piece of meat?
2: It, it tastes the same. It really does, because when you freeze dry, it, it doesn't uh, break down the molecular walls. Of the uh, or the cell the cell walls it doesn't break down the cell walls of the meat or whatever you're freeze drying so it actually retains its exact same shape and it doesn't shrink or anything like that and it also retains about 98 nu- percent of the nutrition that was in there when you put it in there even up to 25 30 years uh, so you take it you just reconstitute it with with hot water or with like whenever I do chicken I like to reconstitute it with chicken broth because it just makes it taste so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but once you reconstitute it with hot water it's going to taste the same that it tasted when you took it out of that pot after you cooked it
1: wow that's pretty crazy okay yeah, yeah. well this has been a great call you've got tons of, of recommendations and uh definitely sounds like i need to check out your channel more and, and listeners do too so it's alaska prepper and yes then-
2: alaska prepper that's the only uh social media that i do and uh uh, all you have to do is uh, if you go on there, just you know if you want to learn about water filters, just go to my page and and punch in the word filters or water filters and whatever videos I've done on water filters they'll pop up uh lately what I've been doing is i've been doing a lot of videos uh that are like like news related uh because with everything that's going on now every almost every day something's popping up that we need to be aware of, that is something that we need to keep our eye on in order to better prepare for what may come down the road. Uh, Like I said, like that fertilizer deal for next year is going to be a major problem for growing food next year. And, And that's not coming from me. That's coming from the World Economic Food Program. That's coming from the World Bank, the Bank for International Settlements. That's even coming from senators from our own house here in the United States, that we're going to be facing a big problem with food going forward uh, because of the energy crisis that we are currently having. So if you know about this kind of stuff now, you can better prepare for it in the future. That's what I'm about. I'm about, uh, you know, giving people information that they can use to make up their own minds and decide whether they want to prepare for that or not.
1: Well, very good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate
0: it. All right. Hey, thank you very much. If you like this podcast